Welcome to Calvary HSM Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope this blesses you. You got a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and grab that right now. We'll be in the book of Acts chapter 2. If you don't know the Bible very well, I'd encourage you to do two things. One is use the church Wi-Fi here to go to your app store and download the Bible app. I know you'll be glad you did. Uh, And the second is that the book of Acts is in what we call the New Testament. It's the fifth book, uh, and that's what we're going to be teaching out of today. We're going to teach out of the Bible and try to have you understand what God might want to speak to you today. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Howard, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Yeah. Uh, Hey, thank you. I I paid a few people ahead of time to do that, so really appreciate that. Uh, But here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. This week, um, I think it's a really cool week for you to be here at church. Let me me speak to you um, if you come to this church a lot and high school ministry here a lot and this is your home and you love it. uh, I think this is going to be a really helpful week and really a really helpful series of weeks here. Um, Whoa, we're out of control. Out of control. Um, Here's what I think. It's going to be some helpful weeks for you just to understand kind of where is this church going and what is this church doing and what are we all about and where are we going to be directing ourselves um, over the next decade. And then here's what I want to speak. I want to speak to you tonight if you are new to church or if you've not been here or maybe you're not even sure if you believe in church stuff or Bible stuff or Jesus stuff. I think you have picked the perfect night to be at church and here's why. Tonight I want to speak really clearly and try to be really forceful about what this church is all about. Like, what is church all about? Why do we have this big building? Why do we do these big gatherings? Why do we do all the things that we do tonight? I hope you walk away with a clear answer about why our church exists and what we're all about. And whatever you do with that, whether or not you choose to believe, my hope for you tonight is that you would be clear about what Calvary Community Church is all about. See, see we're launching right now what we're calling the 2030 vision for our church. And vision just means what kind of church do we see ourselves looking like by the year 2030? And as we think about that and pray about that as a leadership here at this church, we've just kind of landed on some things that we think, here's what God is calling us to do. And we're going to begin to talk about tonight what that 2030 vision means for our church as a whole and then for our high school ministry right here. Uh, And so I want to start with a question that might be on your mind, and maybe you're not thinking about it at all. But here's the question I want to start. I think it will help us get in there. And, And that's this question, why does our church... Why does our church need a vision? Like, why do we even need a vision? What is a vision? We don't really use vision language a lot. We don't talk about things in terms of vision. I'm not like, what's your vision for this weekend? I just say, like, what are you up to this weekend, right? So why do we need a vision? And it's a fair question, and the question is actually answered for us in the scriptures. The book of Proverbs, which you're not turned to, but I'll just show it on the screen right now, says these words. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And here's what that means. That means that if you do not have a clear picture about what you are doing and where you are going, you will not do very well in life. It's like this. You ever had a moment where, like, uh, my house is two stories, so I was upstairs with my wife, and then she asked if I could grab something downstairs for her. I go downstairs. I get distracted by six other things. I end up going back upstairs, and I didn't bring back the one thing she asked me to go down to get. Or you ever had a moment where you go to the fridge and you're looking to get one thing and then you get distracted by another thing, and suddenly you're making this whole meal, and you forgot that you were just going to get a bite of cookie dough in the first place? Or you ever had a moment where you picked up your phone and, and suddenly you picked it up to look at a text message, but then you looked at another thing or another thing. Or you go on YouTube and you're just going to look at that one video for that one thing to help you with this one thing, and then you're 47 minutes down the rabbit hole. So, so here's what happens to a lot of us. When we don't have a clear picture of what we're doing and where we're going, things do not go well for us. When we don't have a clear picture of what is my life all about and where am I going or what is this moment all about and what am I trying to do 
things do not go well, the scriptures say, when the people don't have a vision, they perish. And here's why we think our church needs a vision, needs a clearly articulated picture of where we're going. It's this simple fact, that churches can and often do lose their way. So here's what happens to a lot of churches. A lot of churches just kind of set off in a direction, and then over time, so many things start to happen, and the churches start to operate because we've always operated this way, or we just kind of do things we've always done rather than having a clear sense of why our church exists. And here's what I want tonight, especially for those of you who call Calvary home. Like I know some of you are visiting or just checking this out, but for those of you who come all the time to this place, I want you to leave tonight with a clear answer of why Calvary even exists and why this high school ministry even gathers. And in order to get that clear picture, anytime I'm like, okay, what are we doing here as a church? I always go back to the last words of Jesus. See, in the last words, the final words of Jesus, he gives us the marching orders. Like he says, this is what you're supposed to be about for the rest of time. And here's what it says. Jesus' final words, Matthew 28, it says this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm about to leave. I'm literally leaving you right now. But here are the last words I want you to hear, like, I want you to hear from me. Here's what you should go do now. Go make disciples of every nation. Like go take everyone in every nation you can think of, go tell everyone you can about me, baptize them. In fact, raise your hand if you've been baptized here in this church. Okay, that's what we're up to, right? We get baptized, and then Jesus says what? He says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. In other words, you get baptized, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to follow Jesus one step at a time. This is the command that Jesus gives to his church, and so here's what we want to say really as clearly as we can here at Calvary, that Calvary Community Church, that our church, exists to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. That's what we do. If you want to ask why do we exist, we exist for one purpose only, and that is to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Why do we do Sunday nights? It's to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Why do we do Friday night lights or winter camp or, or send mission trips out? Why do we do small groups? The answer is always the same. Our goal is to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. When we say make disciples, what we mean is our goal for you. I want to tell you my agenda for your life. Pastor Aaron Kajumba's agenda for your life, the whole high school team's agenda for your life is to make you into a disciple of Jesus. And if you are here and you don't know the Lord and you don't know Jesus, our agenda, I just don't want to hide the ball at all. Our agenda is that you would come to know the God who loves you and knows you. Like that's what we want for you. We want you to step into a relationship with God and begin following Jesus and recognize how much love he has for you. And if you do know Jesus, our aim for your life is that you would become more and more like Jesus, that you would be a disciple that you would walk after him. That's why everything in high school ministry exists. And then we say this, we exist to make disciples, like that's the mission. And then like, what's a disciple? A disciple is someone who lives and loves like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. It's someone who lives the way Jesus lived and loves the way Jesus loved. What we want for your life is not for you to follow a bunch of rules. It's not for you to pretend to be holier than you are. We want you to live the way Jesus lived and love the way Jesus loved. And tonight, as we talk about that we exist as a church to make disciples who live and love like Jesus, I just want to give you some clarity about what living and loving like Jesus means and how we intend to do that here in high school ministry. That's what tonight's sermon is going to be. I want to answer this simple question. What does living and loving like Jesus 
look like? What does it mean? What does it look like? Because the answer to that question is what our agenda is every time we have your attention here. Every time you're in this room on Sundays, every time you're here at small groups, every time you go to winter camp, any time you go to an event, we have one agenda, and that is to help you be a person who lives in love like Jesus. So we're going to answer that question tonight. And as we start to think about what it means to live in love like Jesus, I want to show you this photo right here. Um, This is a photo I have in my office here at the church. Uh, And it is a picture of me and my daughter, Grace, who's four years old. She'll be five next week. Um, And my son, Noah. uh, And we're swimming in a pool. Now, here's what I need you to know. Um, My wife gave me this picture because it's super cute. They're smiling. They're holding on to me. I kind of look like I'm drowning, but they look like they're having a lot of fun. And I put it up in my office because it's this beautiful picture of us hanging out. Now, here's what I need you to know. Swimming with toddlers in the pool is not actually fun at all. It's like the entire time they're basically drowning and you're trying to save their life. That's really all swimming in a pool with toddlers is. But then we had this little moment where they were hugging me and they're smiling and they're laughing and I'm smiling, not panicking. Like it was a great moment. And someone snapped this little photo and I have it up in my office. And I want you to know why it's in my office. It's not in my office because I'm deceived into thinking every time I hang out with my kids, it's like this. It's not. Like literally today, we had a knockdown, drag out fight where my toddler is screaming on the floor because we asked him to put his shoes on before church, okay? Like parenting is not always happy and wonderful and fun and delightful. But I look to this moment to remember that this is the kind of dad I want to be. This is the kind of dad I want to be who's like playing with his kids and they're laughing, having the best time. They're close to their father. They love me and I love them. This is the kind of dad I want to be. So I keep it on my shelf, and every time I look over at it, I go, that is the snapshot. That is the picture of the kind of dad I want to be. Tonight, when we look at Acts chapter 2 in just a moment, we're going to look at a picture, a snapshot of the kind of church we want to be. We're going to look at a picture, a snapshot of a number of people who have come to faith in Jesus, and they're going to give us a picture, a snapshot of what we want your life to be, of what we believe living and loving like Jesus looks like. So tonight, as we go to Acts chapter 2, I want you to know, it's not that we're going to look at a church that's never done anything wrong and everything's perfect. It's not that at all. We're going to look at the story of some first Christians, and we're going to look at a snapshot of their lives. And my hope for you is that you would look at this and go, you know what? I'm not quite there yet, but that is the kind of person that I want to be. So again, Acts chapter 2, if you have it on your phone, you can take a look at it there. It'll be on the screen as well. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. So let me back up and give you some context for this. Here's how this begins. Jesus dies. I don't know if you know that's part of the story. He dies. He goes into the grave, and I'm going to spoil the ending for you. He gets up again, right? Jesus rises from the dead. He's there 40 days with his disciples. He gives this final command, and what was the final command? It's two words. It's to make what? Disciples. Go make disciples. So Peter says, all right, that's what we're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter gets up in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem. And he gives a basic speech. And here's his first sermon. He goes, there was a guy named Jesus. Everyone's like, yeah. He goes, he died. Everyone's like, yeah. Peter's like, you killed him. They're like, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. Then he came back. And they're like, yeah, uh, okay. And Peter goes, so say you're sorry. And here's what's crazy. He calls them to repent of their sin and to trust in Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that 3,000 people that day were saved. 3,000. So get your head around this. Calvary on each weekend has about 3,000 people that gather here on our church campus. 3,000 people. Like Calvary was like birthed in a day. 
And suddenly there's thousands of people who are following after Jesus. And the question we have to look at is, okay, now thousands of people are following Jesus. What does it look like them, for them to live and love like him? And we get our answer right here in this text. You notice a few things here. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know what the apostles did? They're just like, here's what Jesus said. You should go do it. And they're like, okay, sounds good. And you know what we have? You're like, well, I've never heard the apostles teach. Yes, you have. If you've ever opened your Bibles, the apostles did us a huge favor. They wrote it all down. And so they wrote down everything Jesus had to say, all the things that needed to be passed on to us. And so when we read the Bible, that's the apostles' teaching. And then it says to fellowship. Like in other words, these first Christians were getting together over and over and over again for church services, church gatherings just like this. It says to the breaking of bread which is like a euphemism to talk about eating a meal, but it's also a euphemism to talk about taking communion together. So listen, they're hearing the Bible being taught, they're gathering for worship, they're taking communion, and then what's the last thing it says? To prayer. So they're doing all of these things. See, 3,000 people get saved, and immediately the first thing they did is they're gathering, hearing the teaching of the word, they're showing up for church together, they're taking communion together, and they're praying. In other words, what they're doing is they're orienting their life toward God. And here's what I want you to know. The first thing we're going to see tonight that living and loving like Jesus looks like. Living and loving like Jesus means loving God. Loving him. Like Jesus' whole life, if you read about Jesus' life, is oriented toward God the Father. And how can I honor him and how can I love him and how can I walk with him? If you want to live and love like Jesus, it begins with you loving God. It begins with you having a right relationship with God and then walking in such a way that you honor him with your life. Here's what Jesus himself said in Matthew 22. It said, teacher, someone asked him, what is the greatest command in the law? Like in other words, they're like, what's the most important command in the whole Bible? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Like in other words, Jesus says, you want to know what's the most important thing to God? The most important thing to God is not how good you look. It's not how often you show up to church. It's not what verse you put in your bio and Instagram. Like the most important thing to God is whether or not you love him. Like whether or not you have a right relationship with him. And here's what we believe as a leadership of our church. Like when we pray about and think toward and believe for the future, when we see the vision of Calvary 2030, here's what we believe is true for every single person in this room. God is calling us to love God more. God is calling us here at this church to love him more than we already do. And you might think that's funny, like God's up in heaven, like, please love me more. And here's what I need you to know. God doesn't want us to love him more because God's kind of bummed and sad and like, I could use a boost. Could you guys love me more? That's not what God's into. God is perfect. God is fully sufficient. He's good all by himself. God doesn't need us to love him for, our, for his sake. God wants us to love him and is calling us to love him for our sake. Because see, here's what happens. When you love God, two things happen at the same time. Number one is, God receives the glory. But here's the second thing that happens, and I want every eye in the room right now on me. When you love God, when your whole life says, I love God more than anything else, that is the only path to lasting happiness in your life. I just want to say that again in case you missed that. The only path to lasting happiness, joy, true satisfaction, the only path to the life you're actually after is you loving God more than anything else. And if you love anything or anyone, including your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your phone or your popularity or your comfort, if you love anything or anyone more than God, it will eventually lead you into misery. 
It can feel good in the moment, but it will eventually make you miserable. When I love God more than anything else, God gets the glory, I get the joy. And what I want for every single one of you here is to have the deepest, richest kind of satisfaction in life where you wake up in the morning and you know why you're alive and you know why you're created and God is blessing you and you're experiencing the goodness of loving him. See, God is calling us to love him more. My hope is this. My hope is that by the time you graduate high school, you will love God more than you did when you came into high school. My goal is that your love for God would keep increasing. Like, what else would God want for us? Can you imagine if we were like, God is calling us to love him about the same as we already do? That would be not inspiring. What we want to do is we want to love God more because when we love God more, God gets more glory and we get more joy. I want to give you four specific ways that's going to mean for us here at this church. Number one, in the years to come, we're going to grow in our love for the word of God. We're going to grow in our love for the word of God. The word of God is the phrase we use for your Bible. We're going to grow in love for the Bible. Now, why do we want you to love your Bible? Because the Bible is what God has to say. And you cannot love God if you don't care what he has to say. Like, I'm a married man. I've been married nine years. And if I came to you tonight and said, I love my wife so much. Man, Danny is the best. I love her. Man, I never listen to what she has to say because she is boring, right? Like, she is so, I just, she talks and I just can't even handle it. I don't want to even listen to her. But I love her so deeply. You guys would be like, that guy's a terrible husband. That guy's not going to stay very, married very long at all, right? Because you know this. You can't say, I love someone, but I don't want to listen to what they have to say. I love someone, but when they talk, I just get bored and want to walk away. Here's what we want. We want you to know that in order to love God, you've got to listen to him. And in order to listen to God, you need to know what he has to say in his word. And so you're going to hear all kinds of things. Even like earlier, you heard about the next step of Bible reading and Bible engagement. There are going to be things that happen at this church that elevate your love for God's word. If we want to love God more, we're going to grow in our love for God's word. Number two, in the years to come, we're going to grow in our obedience to the commands of God. Our obedience to the commands of God. Like again, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to know. You don't obey God so he'll love you. God already loves you. He's crazy about you. But we obey God because when we walk in obedience to God, that's where we find the joy. That's where we find the true life, the true satisfaction we're looking for. And here's what I want you to know. If you grew up in church and you know all kinds of Bible facts, that is not impressive to me. Knowing Bible facts is not impressive to me. Walking in obedience to Bible facts is impressive to me. Like I've known people in my life who could tell you all the Greek and Hebrew words for forgiveness in the Bible. I'm not impressed with that. You know what impresses me? The young man who forgives his mother for what she did to him. Like I know people who could tell you all sorts of things about the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus and they could parse them all out, but they've never actually given any money to the point where it's sacrificial in their life. See, I'm not impressed with knowledge. Knowledge on its own does nothing. Obedience is what we're after. And we're gonna have to grow in obeying the commands of God. Let me put this before you. Our aim, our purpose in your life is to help you walk in obedience to Jesus. Again, not for his sake. He's fine. But for your sake. Because the best life you could possibly live is the one where you say, Jesus, I trust you enough to obey you. The next one is this. In the years to come, we're going to grow in our hunger for the presence of God. Can I tell you this? Um, from time to time, we come into a church service or, or we'll pray before a church service. And, and we'll really desire, like, God, help us learn something tonight. And I think it's good to learn something. I think in church you should be learning things all the time, and that's a good thing. But I want to make it really clear. The point of us gathering 5 p.m. on Sunday nights is not just for you to learn something. It is instead for you to encounter someone. And that someone is the resurrected Jesus through his Holy Spirit that's here in this room. 
But like the point of us gathering is not just so you can just build information in your head. This is where it's different than school. Like you go to school and the point is like learn things enough to write it down on the test, to get it into your transcript, to get into the right college so you can forget all of it later in your life. Like that's the point. When it comes to church, it's different. Like the point of this sermon here is not just you'll learn more information. Information is good. But encounter with the Holy Spirit is what we're after. And what we want to stir up in this church is this hunger, this desire for the presence of God. Like, this is the dream. The dream is like, next time you're driving here to church, or if your mom or dad drives you, you're like in the back seat, that you're not just kind of like checking your fantasy team and like texting your friends and just kind of whatever. My desire in my heart is that you would be coming here, and at some point along the way, you would go, you know what? Tonight, I'm going to encounter the presence of God. Like, tonight, the God of the universe might meet me in here, and I want to have that hunger. The next time you sign up for winter camp and you're on your way up to the buses up to Hume Lake, you're not just going like, oh, I wonder, I hope it's a fun weekend. It will be a fun weekend. But that God would encounter you in power and change your life. That's what we're after here. We're not just after people learning more information. We're after an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the final one. In the years to come, we are going to grow in our passion for the glory of God. So here's what um, we all know. Uh, we live in like Los Angeles area, Right? And even in our little Conejo Valley here, there's all sorts of like famous people, celebrities, maybe even at your school. There are popular people. There are famous people. There are people whose names are known. And that's really cool. Their name can continue to be known. But you know what the passion of this church is? The passion is that the name of Jesus would be known everywhere. That no one would attend Westlake High School or T.O. High School or Newberry High School or Agora High School or Oak Park High School for very long without hearing about Jesus. Like, it would be this type of thing where you just, like, can't go to one of these schools for very long without someone telling you about Jesus. And that Jesus' name would be famous, that people would know him, that they would hear about him, and that through that, he would receive the glory. Like, can you see a day? And maybe you can't see it, but we can. Where people just roll through these high schools, and even if they reject Jesus, they just can't go four years through high school without someone, someone telling them about the God of the universe who loves them enough to send his son Jesus to die for them. So here's what you want you to know, that living and loving like Jesus means loving God more. And we're going to be called in the next few years to love God more. Here's how it goes on in Acts chapter 2. It says in 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders at the signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So again, this first thing was living and loving like Jesus meant having a right relationship with God. Like this vertical relationship with God where I am walking with God in love. I'm walking with him in obedience. I'm loving God. And then here's what you see here. God's doing miraculous things among them, verse 43. Verse 44, they're all hanging out together. Verse 45, they provided for one another. It's like you were at in and out after the service. Someone's like, I'm just hungry, but I don't have any money tonight. Someone's like, I got you, right? Or they're caring for one another's needs. It says they met together in the temple courts, which is like large groups like this. You get together at church in a big group. And then it says they met together in homes. That's like small groups where you meet together with your small group leader and your, and your crew. And then it says this very end. I love this last sentence here. It says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know what this means? They actually liked hanging out with one another. Like that was the coolest thing. What happened in the ancient churches, they like so enjoyed hanging out together that other people were like, I want to be a part of that. That's really cool. So you'll notice all these things that are happening. We just talked about our vertical relationship with God, but now we see they're hanging out together. They're meeting together. They're providing for one another. They actually like hanging out with each other. Like when you look at the early church, this little snapshot we're looking at tonight, 
what you'll see really quickly is they don't operate like an organization. They operate like a family. And the reason they operate like a family, and this is so key for you to understand, is that the church is not like a family. The church is a family. Like, we believe this. We believe that the moment we're saved, we're made a son or a daughter of God. Like, I want you to know sometimes people are like, everyone's God's son or daughter. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says every human is created in the image of God, is loved by God, is cared for and known by God. But it does say that when we don't know Jesus, we are enemies of God. We're separated from God. But when we receive the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, we are made a son or daughter of the Most High God, where God is our Father, and we become part of the family of God. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, that forgiveness is available to you. Where Jesus forgives you of your sins and you are made a son or daughter of God, you can come to faith in Jesus tonight. Talk to us, talk to any of us, cry out to God from your seat tonight. He'll save you. He'll rescue you. Not based on how good you are, but based on what God has done through Jesus. But here's what it is. We're brought into this family of God where I say we're not like a family, we are a family. So here's what living and loving like Jesus is going to mean. Living and loving like Jesus is going to mean loving God's family. On the first hand, it means that we're loving God more, right? We're loving vertically our God. And then the second is that we're supposed to love God's family. We're supposed to love each other, not as best friends, not that we're all on the same page about everything, not that we all like everything, but as family. Like here's what Jesus says. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Like in other words, Jesus says, listen, you need to do what I did, and that's to love each other. To love each other even over differences, even when people don't agree on everything, even when things don't go quite well. Yeah, like this is the thing I need you to know. When you walk into those doors on a Sunday night and you see all these people here, you are not required to look at them as all of your best friends. Isn't that a relief? Because maybe you wouldn't pick all these people as your best friends. Maybe some of your best friends are here, but then you look at others, you're like, that person's kind of odd, and that girl I can never be friends with, right? You don't have to look at them as your best friends, but you do have to look at them as your brothers and sisters. That's what they are. We're not all best friends. We are brothers and sisters. And you know why that's such a helpful metaphor for me when it comes to God's family, the church? Um, because when I think about family, I think about my own family. Now, I'm going to speak for me. I don't know if I'm speaking for anyone else in this room. Um, I want to say this about my family, and it's um, dead true. Um, in every part of my family, um, my family is weird, and my family at times is dysfunctional. Okay, your families are perfect? Okay, got it. All right, your families are never weird. Your families are never dysfunctional. Your families never have drama. Your family never has anyone who steps on anyone's toes or hurts anyone's feelings or does anything wrong. Your families are perfect. But mine, mine... It's totally bizarre. But here's what I need you to know. I'd take a bullet for anyone in my family. I love my family. I care for my family. I pray for my family. I'd give up all the money I ever had for my family. I love my family. And at times, they're crazy. And that's the attitude I want to have toward the church. Yeah, sometimes it's weird, and sometimes people are crazy, and sometimes people argue a lot, and sometimes it's dramatic, and sometimes she broke up with him, and that caused problems over there, and then there was a whole issue over there with what happened at Wintercat. There's all this drama, and you go, you know what? They're my brothers and sisters. I'll do anything for them. That's the kind of love God is calling us to have. Why? Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Here's what we believe, that God is calling us to love God's family more. I believe in the next season of life, God is calling every single one of us in this room to show more love for the people who are in God's family. Again, four specific ways this means. Number one, in the years to come, we're going to grow in our time spent with God's family. Love for one another, love for your family begins with you spending time with them. If you're like, I love my family so much, I never hang out with them, and every time there's a family reunion, I don't go. Like, that is not love. 
Love is hanging out with people. It's spending time with people. It is actually spending time with one another shows love. And it's the same for the church. Like I think in the years to come, we're just going to grow in our capacity to spend time with one another, to be together on Sundays, to be together at small group, and to allow Sundays and small group and whatever's happening through this church to be like your number one priority, not number 16 on your list. Like I've just done this long enough to know there are so many high school students who are like, well, she canceled on me and he couldn't hang out and the game wasn't on and then I couldn't do this and I couldn't do this. And so if everything else fails, I'll go to church. And we just want to flip that. We want to say the most important thing for us is that we would spend time with the family God has given us, and that's his church. Listen, in the years to come, we're going to grow in our generosity toward God's family. In our generosity toward God's family. You know what I mean? Yeah, like This is going to mean something that some of you will just be like, what? What does that even mean? Like, it means giving money toward what God is doing through this church. And you may think giving money is something like the old people do later, or later on in life you'll do that. I want to call you to that right now. If you are a serious-minded follower of Jesus, I want to challenge to ask you this question. Does God own all of your life, including your wallet, including your purse? Because if you say God owns every part of me, I'm faithful to him in every single part of me, except he doesn't get to touch my money, then God doesn't own every part of you. He owns just parts of you. And so here's what we want to call you toward. We want to call you to be generous, to give regularly to the ministry of this church. And if you're like, I would never give to Calvary, I just want to encourage you to find a church you can give to. Like, give somewhere, give money, give generously to what God is doing in this world. And if that means a dollar a week, then it means a dollar a week. If you're like, I can't afford $52 a year, make it a nickel a week. I don't even know what the math is on that, but it's not much, right? And here's the deal. I'm not standing here saying, I think this ministry needs to give more money because we need your money. It's not like the church was broke and they're like, hey, Brian, go ask the people who can't really even afford Taco Bell if they could give more, right? I get it. You don't have money. You don't have a lot of money. Some of you have tons of money. Great. But others of you don't. The point isn't that the church needs your money. The point is if you want to actually follow Jesus, generosity is at the core of it. And so I'm going to challenge some of you, and I know our ministries are going to challenge you, to lean in and to give and to give faithfully and regularly and generously. Number three, in the years to come, we're going to grow in our mercy and grace toward God's family. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I think it would be every hand in the room. But I have been in rooms where I've asked, hey, raise your hand and don't do it right now. Um, but raise your hand if, this, if anyone in this room, anyone in this church has ever hurt you. And, and hands just fly up all over the room. And, and I know this is true because this church is full of human beings. And in the case of this specific church, it's a lot of human beings. It's like there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And so there's pain all over this room and you've got two choices. You can be bitter and angry and hold it against them. You can rage at what's happened to you. You can be so mad at people for how they hurt you or what they said or how they gossiped or how that breakup went or how things went at that camp or how things went on that Sunday or how things went at school. Or you can choose to be a type of person who is filled with mercy and grace. Listen, if you've been abused, if someone has actually wronged you, like we want to know about that. I'm not trying to like say don't worry about hard things that have happened to you or if someone's really done something terrible, just brush it under the rug. I'm not talking about that at all, okay? Like, if you've been hurt, we want you to come to us. We want to know. We want to help you through that. But if it's just the stuff that happens all the time, where human beings step on each other's toes, hurt each other's feelings, say things they shouldn't have said, don't say things they should have said, when that happens here in the church, like, man, we should just be showing each other the same kind of mercy and grace that Jesus showed us. Like, do you know at your worst, Jesus was like, I want that young woman. I want that young man. Like, at your worst, he's like, 
yeah, that's the one I want. And I just want us to have that same heartbeat toward others here. People are going to hurt us. If you actually think you're going to go through the rest of your life and never be hurt, you are hopelessly naive. Like, you're going to get hurt in life. And your only options when you are hurt is bitterness, anger, resentment, and being all twisted up for the rest of your life, or choosing the path of Jesus where you choose mercy and grace and forgiveness. And I believe in the years to come, we need to grow in that forgiveness. Here's the final one. In the years to come, we're going to grow in our affection toward God's family. I told you I love my family. They're a mess. But when I get together with them, I'm like, you're a mess, but you're my mess. You're my people, right? I see them and I smile. I'm like, oh, we're going to do that. We're going to tell that story again. And here's all the, like, it's just great. You get together with your family, your extended family, and you're like, woohoo, right? Like, that's how I want you to feel about the church. It's super popular nowadays to be like, the church is the worst, right? Like, if your whole goal is to point out places where the church has failed or isn't great or doesn't do things perfectly, if you want to point out, like, how I don't do things perfectly or this church or this high school ministry doesn't do things perfectly, you will have endless opportunities to do so. We are flawed. We are broken. We do not do everything right. And yet the call of God on your life is not to be this negative, cynical person. Cynicism and negativity aren't part of the fruit of the Spirit. You being affectionate toward God's people and what he's doing is, I think we need to grow in that. Again, Jesus modeled for us. We love God more, right? We love God with all our lives. We love God's family. And then I want you to see the final piece, um, how this text ends, verse 47. It says, they're praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So notice, they're praising God. All these people are watching. They're going, like, what's going on at that church? What's going on with these people? People are showing favor toward them. Mean People are actually, like, kind of interested and kind of cool with them. And then people are getting saved. It says every single day people are being added to the number. Like at least 365 people per year are being saved. So here's what I see. Like this early church loved God. And they loved one another. But you know what happens to a lot of churches? A lot of churches love God. And they love one another. But then they're kind of like, we don't want anyone else to come. Just us. We'll love one another really well and we'll love God. And if anyone else tries to come, we probably won't let them in our little club. And that is a terrible way to operate. And it is not the way Jesus operated. Jesus operated in a way that he loved God. He loved the people he was with. But he did one other thing. That living and loving like Jesus means loving your neighbor. It means loving your neighbor. And when I say your neighbor, you can think of the person who lives next door to you. You can also think of the girl who sits with you in math class. You can also think about the person who sits across the lunchroom from you. You can think about the people in your neighborhood, the people at your school, the people on your team. Those are your neighbors. And Jesus calls us to love them. Again, back in Matthew 22, when he said, the most important command is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it says, the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. But like, here's what Jesus is calling us toward. To look around the world and see all of the people who are far from God, not part of any church anywhere, don't know how much God loves them, and to say, you need to be part of this because God loves you more than you'll ever imagine. See, here's what I believe. That we are called, that God is calling us to love our neighbors more. He's calling us to up our game. And I am calling you to up your game with regard to loving your neighbor. I think all of us need to get out of this mindset where we're just kind of like, I need to think about me and focus on me and care about me and love myself. Well, no, no, no. Jesus assumes you're going to love yourself plenty. What he wants you to do is he wants you to love others. And the number one way you can love others is to help them understand how much God loves them. 
Like you will never love someone more than when you are introducing them to the God of the universe who made them, created them, has a purpose for them, and has love for them, forgiveness for them, grace for them. So again, I want to talk about four specific ways I think that's going to play out here in high school ministry. Number one, in the years to come, we're going to grow in praying for people who are far from God. So, so here's something, if you've been to this church a lot of times, you'll know. Uh, we have this prayer wall right over here. And this prayer wall, um, every single service you're invited to put up prayers. And there's all sorts of prayers that come in, and, and sometimes I can see the list and pray over it, and other times I don't. But here's what I know. Um, every single week, you have an opportunity to write down the name of someone who is far from God, your sister, your best friend, your teammate, the girl in class, the person you know, to write down their name and put it on this wall, believing that God will come rescue and save them. I've been challenged throughout my life to be reminded of this fact, that I ought to be talking to God about people more than I am talking to people about God. So often what I want to do is I want to go tell everyone about God, but I haven't hit my knees first and prayed and asked that God would rescue and save them. And this is an opportunity every week we have to write down names and to say, you know what, Carl needs to be saved and Jenny needs to be saved and Alex needs to be saved and Sabrina needs to be saved and to write down that and to pray and ask others to pray with you. We need to grow in our prayers for people who are far from God. Number two, I think in the years to come, we're going to grow in our care, our caring for people who are far from God. Uh, like I want you to know the purpose of this church is not just like spiritually to get people right. Spiritually get people right, yes, that's important. Yes, that's critical. Maybe it's even central. But one of the ways we show tangibly the love of God is we serve people. We help people. You know what I want for some of you to do? I want you to engage in various things this church does throughout the week, throughout the year, to help and serve this community. Do you know we feed hungry people every Tuesday here? We clothe people who need clothes. We do things in this community to serve people who are hurting and in pain and need something. And you can be a part of that. You can be a part of it through the ministries of this church. You can be a part of it simply by loving the people who are around you and caring for them in practical ways. So we want to grow in praying for people far from God, for caring for people far from God. The next is we want to grow in speaking the words and sharing the words of the gospel of people far from God. When I say sharing the words of the gospel, here's what I mean specifically. I believe you are called to share the gospel with people, and that only happens when you speak words. Like, you cannot share the gospel unless you have said out loud at some point that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't even have to say it super well. You can just say, listen, I don't have all the answers. I just know Jesus died for my sins to forgive me, and I believe and trust in him. At that point, you're sharing the gospel. But what happens for so many of us is we kind of think like your job in life is just to be kind to people, smile, don't swear, and buy them muffins for years, and then hope they'll eventually come to Jesus. And that is not the call of God on your life. The call of God in your life is to be bold and courageous and speak the words of the gospel. And here's the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and on the third day was raised from the dead so that we might come to a faith and a salvation in him. And I want to challenge you, if you have never said that to a friend, if you have never actually shared about Jesus' death on the cross for their sins, man, I want to encourage you to be bold and courageous. It'll feel like the scariest thing in the world actually talking about Jesus to someone. But I promise you it's worth it. I had a mentor once who said this. I don't know if I agree with this analogy, but it always stuck with me. He said, sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus is kind of like a first kiss, super awkward, but usually worth it, right? I thought that was good. I was like, yeah, that's kind of it. Like, yeah, it happens. Yeah, what was it? You know, like, it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable, but I want to call you into that. Why? Because you cannot love your neighbor if you're too afraid of their judgment. And I want you to not be afraid of their judgment. I want you to share the words of the gospel with people. 
And here's the final one. In the years to come, I want us to grow in our inviting people, giving invitations to people who are far from God. Um, question for you. Raise your hand if you went to Friday Night Lights on Friday. Awesome. All over this room. Um, I love it. Friday Night Lights is a blast. It's my favorite thing. It's incredible. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Hey, it's coming up again this Friday. And if you're like, hey, I'm going, bring people with you. Ask them. Text them. Sometime in the next few days, just, hey, I'm going to this thing at my church. It's totally free. There's food. There's a lot of cool people. You want to come. And the worst, the literal worst thing they could do to you is just say, no. Right? You're like, devastating. Oh, they said no. No, just invite them. Why? That's what we do. It's how we love people. We invite them into what God's doing. When it comes to Friday Night Lights, when it comes to winter camp, when it comes to Sundays, be the type of person who extends an invitation. We love our neighbors by inviting them into what God's doing. And that's what I want to call you toward. I want to call you to step up your game and to say, who can I invite? You don't have to be the person who invites everyone in the world because you don't know everyone in the world. But you know who you do know? The people God has placed in your orbit. Your friends, your family, and your job is to say, who has God put in my hands and how can I be faithful with them? Listen, if we're going to live and love like Jesus, it's going to include three things. We asked this question to start. Our band will make their way up and we'll close. But I want to go back to where we started. It's this. What does living and loving like Jesus look like? Here's what it means. It means loving God more, right? Vertically, having this right relationship with God. It means loving God's family more. Like when we walk in this room, we're like, it's my crazy family and I love them, right? And, and then it means loving our neighbors more. Like that love going outward and us inviting more and more people in, not just becoming this like club where we're like, we're here and if anyone else comes in, we'll just ignore them, right? It's like, how do we love them well? And here's my question for you tonight. My question is if it's true that when you walk in obedience to Jesus, when you walk and live in love like him, that's where the true happiness, joy, satisfaction, and delight is found. My question for you is this. Of these three things, which one do you need to work on? Which one do you need to think about? Which one do you need to st take steps forward in? I think for some of you, you're like, yeah, I love God, and I love, like, I love the church, but I don't really invite people a whole lot. Or maybe some of you are like, I love God, and I invite people all the time, but honestly, like, I don't have great relationships here. I really don't try. Maybe for some of you, you love the people here, and you can actually invite people in, but you know you actually need to work on your love for God's word and obedience to what he had to say. My question for you is this. Which do you need to walk in obedience to? Because here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And here's what he says at the very end, his last, last words. He said, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And here's what I believe with all my heart. If you want to experience the presence and the power of God in your life, it doesn't happen for you feeling it or just wanting it or desiring it. You experience the power and the presence of God. This I will be with you always to the very end of the age when you are doing the things Jesus told you to do. You go do these things, you will experience the power and the presence and the purpose that God has for your life. He will enter in and encounter you in such a way that changes you and makes you a new person. He will make you the type of person who lives and loves like him. So that's the call of God on our lives. We're going to talk about a bunch of other things in the weeks to come, but tonight I simply want you to know this, that when you live in love like Jesus, that's where the true joy in life is found. And I want to invite all of us to love God more, to love God's family more, and to love our neighbors more for every breath God has left for us on this earth. Sound good? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight, and thanks for the opportunity once again to open your word. Father, I pray that we would love you more. Help us to just have this passion for your presence and your goodness. God, I pray that we would love your people more. 
God, help us to be a family who loves each other like brothers and sisters. God, help us to love our neighbors more. God, I pray that there would be men and women, friends, family members who know you in the coming years because we were bold enough to ask, to invite, and to show them the love of Jesus. So God, we just feel like insufficient to this entirely on our own. And yet, God, through your power and encountering your presence, we can do all things through Christ. So God, I pray you would meet us here in power as we sing to you tonight. God, as you hear our voices praising you, would you fill us with joy, fill us with faith. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope that was a blessing to you. You can connect with us on social media at Calvary HSM 805 on Instagram or on our website. God bless you.